It's great to be in church tonight. Appreciate a good crowd on a Wednesday night. Uh, I know some of you are tired. You've been uh, weary. You've been driving all week. And some of you I know came literally right from work to be here. Maybe you got your In-N-Out burger and just ate that on the way. And, uh, but now you're here and you're sitting down and now your flesh is starting to kick in. You're a little, getting a little bit sleepy, a little bit tired. Uh, try not to fall asleep. Amen? I heard about a man who fell asleep in church and he would do it all the time. And he got a little bit older and he started snoring in church. So the pastor got a young man in the choir and said, listen, when that fellow falls asleep in church, I want you to take a hymnal at my signal and throw it and hit him right in the head and wake him up. Well, the preaching started and it got a little warm in the church and that man started just falling asleep, laid his head back and he started to snore. The pastor gave the young man the signal. The young man threw the hymnal it hit him right in the head. The man looked up, looked around, said, hit me again. I can still hear him. Anyway, uh, we'll try not to do that tonight and uh, try to uh, stay alive. And uh, boy, I've had just the greatest time. Uh, I, mean, I feel like I've kind of, it, it's I'm all, not even fair. My wife's home and uh, she's helping with the church, taking care of things. And I'm out of here and preaching, but having a, just such, such a great time with my friend, Pastor Fong. And, and I appreciate Pastor Fong and his family so much. And uh, Brother Justin and uh, Miss Jennifer took me out last night to eat to uh, some Mexican place, Toritos or Toledo. What is it? What is it? El Torito, okay? So we, we went to El Torito and got a burrito, amen? And, uh, and uh, didn't get a Cheeto. But anyway, we had a good time. Somebody asked me if I tried the keto diet. I said, yeah, but it turned into the Cheeto diet for me. But um, we, uh, we, I did try it. And uh, I'll tell you, pastor took me over to so many good places. We went to Sam's. Did I tell you we went to Sam's? And we went to Sam's, and uh, we went over to Sam's. Uh, that was great, and uh, Sam's Chowder. And then today we went to Paradiso, and uh, that was unbelievable. It was incredible. Uh, two days ago we went to Panitos or something, or Piatti's. That's it, Piatti's up in the, up, uh, in the hill, and uh, that was amazing. We went to Horatio's. So uh, when I get home, I'm signing up for the Jenny Craig diet, amen? So uh, pray for me. And, uh, but, uh, Pastor, thank you so much for the hospitality and the kindness, and always a wonderful joy just to be here. And I love this church. I love the spirit of this church and uh, just the way you go about serving the Lord uh, and his goodness and graciousness. Uh, get involved in this big, uh, this dinner. It's going to be a great time. What an opportunity to bring people to church. So get your tickets now. Don't be a Baptist and wait to the last minute. Get them ahead of time. Amen. You say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. Uh, they say it's a discount, but they always change it anyway. So it doesn't matter, but that's just Baptist church churches. That's what we do. Amen. But uh, try to be here. In fact, there's a verse. Uh, I'll read it to you. Hezekiah 3.9. Thou shalt buy thy tickets tonight. If thou buyest not thy tickets, thy dishwasher shall break down, thy house shall burn, and thy cat shall run away. So uh, try to be here if you can. Uh, try to be uh, and get involved in all that. Bring people out. Pray for us. Sunday, we, we're having a big day. We're going to have, uh, we call it Old Fashioned Sunday. And uh, it's also called our, uh, our Fall Festival uh, for lost people. We invite them to the Fall Festival. And everybody dresses up. Uh, I'll have an old-time parson suit. And I'm even getting some little ground uh, glasses like preachers used to wear. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And I'm preaching on an old-fashioned church. Can't wait to preach on that. Looking forward to it. Old-fashioned church is a heavenly church. An old-fashioned church is a happy church. Amen? 
An old-fashioned church is a harmonious church. We work together and, uh, and on and on. And then the last point is going to be an old-fashioned church is a harvesting church where people are getting saved. And uh, looking forward to people being saved Sunday. And we have more than 200 people that said they're going to come as visitors. So pray that we have a great day. And people are calling me, where am I going to park? And I, I wrote one man, I texted him and said, do not park on the parking lot. I'll have you towed. Park across the street. Make room. How many want visitors to be as close as possible? Amen. So we're going to have a great day on Sunday. The book of Psalms, please. Chapter number 85. Psalms chapter 85. And as we stand together, let's begin to look tonight at Psalm 85. And I'll start to read in verse number 4. <clears throat> and if the meeting protracted out and went out through Friday, I could hit two more really good restaurants around here, so that all sounds good to me. I hit the Cliff House and something else. But anyway, uh, I tell Pastor Fong, he says, where do you want to go? I said, Pastor, you've never failed me one time. He knows where to go. It's a blessing. And I, I praise God. Uh, Brother Justin did a great job song leading. All the guys do. And uh, I'm fired up about it. I was glad. He, I told the pastor, and I'll tell you this, young guys, you're not going to get more on fire as you get older. And you're going to be more on fire and stirred up and convicted, and you're going to be more obnoxious now than you'll ever be. And you'll temper out and all that, and you'll mellow out. So these guys think, well, I'm a young guy. I'm going to be sort of, you know, cool with this thing and just sort of, hey, what's going on? Don't want to bother anybody. And uh, young man, you need to learn how to preach, amen? amen. And uh, lift up your voice and preach and uh, just uh, get outside of yourselves and have a great time and offend people and all that. And you ought to be, you ought to be convicted about some things. How many of your young men have some convictions, amen? And uh, boy, when I, we came out of Bible college, my wife and I and people, they wouldn't even fellowship with us. We were, man, we were against everything. We just, uh, sorry, we're not doing that. God bless you, amen. And uh, you don't get more convictions as you go. You start off strong right now. And I, I like Brother Justin. He said, okay, everybody, let's all have a good Baptist handshake. Amen. What is a Baptist handshake? <laughs> it's a good handshake. Amen. And uh, I mean, he even has Baptist handshakes. He's got a big B on the back of his car because uh, he's a Baptist. We ought to be convicted about something. Uh, why? If we're not, then we'll be pulled away with the trends of this world. I got saved. Uh, I was in a new evangelical church for several years, and uh, the, the church helped me. The pastor helped me. But the more I studied the Word of God, I said, I am a Baptist. And I became Baptist on purpose, convicted, and got rebaptized. And the pastor even encouraged me in that way. He said, you know what? If I was a young man, I'd be a Baptist too. He said, I'm too old to change right now. But you go ahead and even supported me in all that uh, to be a member of a Baptist church. If you're not a member here, you should talk to pastor about membership. Talk to one of the men. If you've never been baptized... You should scripturally baptize. You say, well, I, ba I got baptized over at, you know, at the, the vine, or I got baptized over at this other church. The other, you ought to get, have a good scriptural baptism that says, I believe what Heritage Baptist Church believes and trust Christ. We had a lady in our church who was leading all these Bible studies. I mean, a big leader in this Bible study movement and uh, very knowledgeable in the Bible and she, when she came to join our church, she said, well, I can't really join the church. I said, why, ma'am? She said, I'm really afraid to get baptized. 
Are you telling me you're leading Bible studies and you're this renowned spiritual woman and you've never even done the first principle of our faith and been scripturally baptized by immersion for believers only in a Baptist church? Somebody say amen. And boy, uh, a real spiritual giant. And she finally got baptized and told me, said, I couldn't believe uh, how spiritual I thought I was until I finally obeyed the Lord. I hope, I hope and pray everybody's tithing. Hope and pray everybody's at least tithing. Amen? At least tithing. At least the tenth. That's the minimal. And to start at that base place of giving. And if you want God to bless your life, you'll have to learn to tithe. Is that everything you told me to say, Pastor? All right, but anyway, uh, and, uh, I mean to tithe and, and to give to the people of God and, and learn what it means to just be a blessing. Why? And you know why I want our church people to tithe? Because I know what God is going to do in their life. I know how the Lord is going to expand them and help them and, and, and just uh, bless their life. Why? Because you really cannot outgive God. You know how, amen? And learn to be a giver and serve Christ. Psalm 85 Verse number, verse number five, please. Verse four. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I'd like to end my part of these services for a few moments tonight. I'd like to preach on the subject of revive us again. Revive us again. I've had a man last night who told me, he said, Brother Rossi, I've been revived God is working in my life. I've had a revival this week. And I would say to every person that might feel or sense that in their life, that you feel like some of the dead bones of your heart are starting to come back to life, that God's given you your amen back, say amen. amen. God's giving you your shout back a little bit, giving you a little bit of joy back. I can tell you this, if you're going to maintain that, you're going to have to say, wilt thou not revive us, what, again? And again, and again, understand a man said, well, well, Brother Rossi, uh, what do you have to keep getting revived again for? How many like to be clean? Can I see your hands? And how many of you bathe more than once a month? Amen? I'm not going to go any, in a, for any further detail than that. And so, Pastor, my electric's been out, I understand. And he's been using a lot of perfume and cologne, amen? But, uh, but uh, we certainly like to bathe more than once a month or once every quarter. We bathe regularly. Why? Because we get dirty and the world gets on us and we have to get cleaned up again. Don't you know that revival is the same thing? We get revived again and again and we get quickened and we get stirred. And for a few moments tonight, I want to preach on the subject, revive us again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray for your blessing, your power, your anointing to rest upon the Word of God tonight. Use it, we pray, and speak to hearts. Thank you for that which you will accomplish. We give you the praise and the glory together, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said together, 
You may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Our text tonight is a great well-known portion of the Bible, and if you know anything about Psalm 85, you understand the fact that the human author of Psalm 85, there is some question, there's a bit of controversy of who actually wrote this great psalm. Some, uh, some uh, commentators believe that David wrote this psalm, and for a number of years I concurred with that, and as I studied it in more depth in recent years, I begin to realize that it may indeed be a post exile psalm when God's people were coming out of captivity and an unknown prophet that God spoke to gave us this wonderful psalm of revival. Really, there's a great rehearsal here if you study it. The picture here is that God's people are coming out of captivity. They have been brought back from bondage. They've been bought, brought back from their carrying away. And the writer of this psalm begins to rehearse the greatness of God and the goodness of God in their lives. First of all, he begins to rehearse the favor of God. Verse number one, he said, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. So they are coming back from a place of bondage and the goodness of God has been manifest in their life. And this writer recognizes that God has been favorable. How many believe tonight that God has been favorable unto us, that God has given us grace and mercy, and that God has reached out and touched our lives. I love Ephesians 2 verse 8. You can say it with me if you'd like. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the writer recognizes the favor of God. He recognizes in the next verse the forgiveness of God. In verse 2 he said, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Wherever you see Selah in your Bible in the book of Psalms, it is, a, it is a pause for reflection. It is a pause to meditate on what God just said to our heart. Do you understand? We'd be a better people if we'd spend more time meditating on the fact that we've been forgiven by the goodness of God. Psalm, Psalm 103 verse 11 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Tomorrow morning I'll get on an airplane and I'll go almost as far east as you can go in America without going out into the Atlantic Ocean. And Baltimore is the last port on the eastern seaboard that I will hit. I'll fly into BWI and I'll be pretty far away, some 3,000 miles from San Leandro and Oakland, California. God said as far as the east is from the west. Now wait a minute, if you were to go north from here, and go dead north, eventually you'd hit the Arctic, and uh, you would go across the Arctic and the frozen uh, plains of the Arctic, and eventually you would hit the North Pole. When you hit the North Pole, if you kept traveling, where, which way would you be heading? You would now be heading where? south. You've gone as far north as you can go. But the good news is there is no east pole, there is no west pole, and that's how far God has taken our sin away from us. The day we got saved, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. In the book of light, from the book of light, they've all been crossed out. I don't remember them anymore. So he deals with the forgiveness of God. He deals and rehearses the favor of God then the writer rehearses the fierceness and the wrath of God himself. He said in verse number three, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself, look at verse three, from the fierceness of 
thine anger. Do you understand before Christ, before you were saved? Well, let me just uh, check on this. How many of you are saved and know it? Can I see your hand? How many of you are saved and know it and are glad of it? If, if you can hear my voice, if you're saved by the grace of God, I would like for you to raise, my, raise your hand. Don't rebel. Don't say, don't tell me what to do. But uh, if you're saved by the grace of God and glad of it, let me see your hand. The fact that you've been saved means that you've been delivered from the wrath of God. Christ saved us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad that uh, he is the one who endured uh, the punishment, the penalty, and the payment for our sin? And upon him, uh, our penalty was laid when Christ gave himself over on Calvary. The writer Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The fact that you've been saved, it means you ought to get happy once in a while. The fact you've been saved means you ought to smile at least occasionally. You don't have an amen. And the fact you've been saved by the grace of God even means you ought to shout on occasion and get it's stirred about the goodness of God. One man said, I'm so glad to be saved. He said, that I'm, when I learned about salvation, truly, that's enough to make a backslidden Episcopalian get happy and get stirred about the goodness of God in his life. So he is dealing with God. He is rehearsing the goodness of God. But now the writer begins to pray. And in verse number four, he says, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. He's now saying, we've been under chastening. We've been under the hand of God. Do you understand that God will never, uh, once you're saved, God will never forsake his children. Aren't you glad for that? God will never turn us away. And yet, we do have chastening. We have discipline that comes into our life from God. And he's saying, Lord, turn us uh, and uh, uh, turn us and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Here's the question. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? I see this man as he's making his way back to the city of Jerusalem, as he sees the walls broken down and burned by fire, as he sees what used to be the magnificent temple of God with a golden ceiling at Solomon's temple that has now been destroyed. And he comes back and he says, we have sinned, yes, we have grieved God, but are you going to take this out onto the next generation and the next generation? My question is tonight, I know that our generation has sinned, but how many want God to have mercy on the generation to come and want our children to see revival and our kids and our grandchildren to see the mighty hand of God upon their generation. And he makes that appeal to God. And he said, will you draw out thine anger to all generations? Verse six, wilt thou not revive us again? And look at the result that thy people may what? rejoice in thee, to have a rejoicing spirit, to have a spirit of gratitude, of thankfulness, and gratefulness to God. I've had people throughout my Christian life, they've said to me, well, you're fired up, you're stirred up, you'll get over it. A man in the church where we attended, my wife and I came out of Bible college, and I, I mean, we were against everything, brother. I mean, we were stirred up, excited, and uh, just uh, serving the Lord, trying to get people saved, and people were getting saved all around us, and God was using us a great way, and uh, we'd go to that little church we attended, and a, a dear man, an older man said, yeah, you know, you're pretty fired up, but you'll get over that one of these days. And he said, don't worry, you'll, you'll kind of settle down, you'll 
calm down. I said, well, sir, well, am I going to be more like you? He said, probably so. I said, well, be honest with you, that's not my goal, amen? I'd rather be stirred up and be, about, be all about Jesus. Why? Because I think it's natural for children of God to be stirred about the things of God. I think it's unnatural to have this mundane uh, analytical spirit to live our life in the paralysis of analysis, well, you think this is going to last? I don't know. Let's see. I mean, come in and as a little spiritual smoke smeller and see, see whether who's, who's been doing what all week long. It's amazing. You sit on the platform. I do that in my church. And it's amazing. We have certain people that will walk in the back door and I watch them. And the first thing they'll do is look all around who's here, who's not here. They're not looking to see who's here. They're just looking to see who's not here. Uh-oh, think more people are gone. They're looking around. They're not coming in saying, man, the choir's singing, God's moving. Uh, there's music. They're singing, what, what a great song. They come in uh, analyzing and criticizing everything that's going on. What a lockdown soul. They need revival and need God to get a hold of their heart one more time. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee, Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I see three or four things in this chapter of the Bible, and I'll elaborate on a few, not all of them. I see, first of all, a plea for God to revive us again. He said, Lord, will you please revive us again? The choir so wonderfully sang, I believe on Sunday night, that great song, Revive Us Again, Revive Us Again. And I can tell you that by the grace of God, we need revival again and again and again. Study the history of mankind, and there have been great times of spiritual awakening that come from the presence of the Lord where God comes on a community, and God settles on a church, and God settles on a people, and they sense the manifest presence of God and they sense a moving of the Holy Ghost in their life and God draws them to Jesus Christ. That's what America needs more than anything else uh, in this world. We need God to revive us again. Uh, the writer Habakkuk said, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy. David said in Psalm 119 verse 126, it is time for thee, O Lord, to work for they have made void thy law. How many believe it's time for God to do something around here and something in our lives and something in our community for God himself to revive us again? I love Hosea 14, 7 where God said that they that, uh, they that dwell under his shadows shall return. They shall revive as the corn and the wine. They will get right. They'll get stirred. They'll get excited about the things of God. I see first of all a plea for God to revive us again. I see secondly here tonight the possibility for God to revive us again. I sat with a preacher several years ago. It wasn't El Torito's, it was uh, in another Mexican restaurant though. Uh, and we sat across from one another, and you may even know him. And I, we were sitting together. I preached on revival in his church on Sunday morning. And we were eating a toastita or uh, chips and salsa. And by the way, chips and salsa will cure a lot of ailments. Amen to that. And uh, we were eating chips and salsa and having a good time and uh, rejoicing and having a great time. He said, well, Brother Rossi, he said, um, let me ask you a question. Do you think revival can come? I said, what do you mean, sir? He said, do you think revival can come? I said, well, absolutely. He said, I don't believe revival can come to America. He said, I don't believe revival can come to this world. I said, Pastor, maybe you ought to 
apply at a used car lot or get a job as an insurance salesman because if your faith is that low and your God is that small, uh, I don't even know if I'd stand up and preach if I didn't believe that our God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You say, well, you shouldn't have offended him. No, he offended me. I just got done preaching on revival. He told me it couldn't happen. I can tell you that God is able to have an amen. He said, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord. Grant us thy salvation. Years ago, I started writing reasons down why I believe that God can send revival. First of all, we can see revival because God has not changed. I need a bigger response than that. God has not changed. You know everything in your life is changing. Our bodies are changing. I looked in the mirror today and thought, wow, you're, you're getting ugly, man. I mean, uh, I was getting depressed, and I had to look away, but uh, we're, we're deteriorating. Our bodies are changing. We're not like we used to be. Our hair is either turning gray or turning loose, and it, it's, not, it's not hanging on like it used to, and, and all these things. You say, well, well, well Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm glad you are. I mean, we've got all these workout centers, and I see people jogging, running down the road, 85, 90 years old, running down the road, uh, looking like a little bag of bones, and uh, but uh, listen, friends, uh, you can go to the workout center, and I'm all for that. I think it's good to take care of yourself. But ladies, you say, well, oh, Pastor Rossi, I'm working on my Coke bottle figure. I'm glad you are, but it's going to be a two-liter one of these days. Say amen. <laughs> Everything in our life is going to change. I came out of the room a couple of years ago and bought a compression shirt. It was an armor all. You know, what do you call it, under armor? And, I, and that's armor alls. That's for your car. Under Armour, and uh, I thought, man, that look at that. There was a mannequin there, man. It was all strong and muscular, and had, you know, I thought, man, that's me. And I bought this shirt and came out uh, of the bedroom, walked out. The kids were out. They said, they all looked at me and said, Dad, <laughs> that's the wrong one. Amen. You need to take that back. Get the loose fit model. Amen. But you understand, none of us are like everything in our life is changing. He said, well, I have a nice car, beautiful car. Yeah, and somebody else might be driving up the 101 right now. He said, well, I've got a beautiful home. Boy, have we learned that all that is, is vain. All that is temporal. It could be on fire. I mean, who knows what's gonna, what we're going to lose next. But there's one constant, one thing, one person in life who will never change. God said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. The Bible said in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means because God has not changed that revival is still possible. The same God that brought about the Welsh revival of 1903, the same God that brought about the 1858 revival in New York that swept up the Hudson River, the same God that, came, that visited Second Baptist Church in Arati, Romania back in the late 70s, the same God that visited communities with great power and blessing. Understand that same God is still alive today, man. He has not changed. God has not changed. I believe this, we can have revival because the gospel still saves. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation. Listen to this, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at pigment? He's not worried about what color our skin is. He's not worried about what city of origin we're from or what country we're from. He's not going to check our passport before we get saved and make sure that we're documented and all that. The Bible said that whosoever will may come, and Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. Christ died for all. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Years ago, I was in a revival, and the pastor and I were on the platform like your pastor and I were tonight. And while we were on the platform, the pastor leaned over and said, don't look in that section. But he said, the meanest woman you're ever going to meet in your life just walked in and she's sitting on that section. Don't look. Well, of course, what did I do? I looked right over. He said, Brother Rossi, don't speak to her. She is really mean. Just about that time, the, greetings, uh, the greeting part of the service started. What did I do? Tried to give her a Baptist handshake. And I went down, and uh, there she was. I said, how are you, ma'am? Just fine. I said, good to see you. I'm Brother Rossi. I know who you are. She was as mean and curt and just as rude and just sat there during the service, looked like she'd been, uh, man, like she'd been just baptized in pickle juice. She was mad at the world. She was just sitting there, just chewing her nails, looking all sideways. And uh, I preached and got done preaching, and a miracle occurred at the end of the service. She got up, went down this side. There was an organ on this side, and she went behind the organ with another lady in the church, and I could see her little shoes sticking out of the organ. That was about it. And, uh, man, there she was. She stayed there during the invitation, the service service closed. People are starting to go home. I was in the back uh, meet, greeting folks, saying hi, signing Bibles, all that good stuff. And uh, everybody was gone. And those two ladies came to the back. She walked up to me and said, praise the Lord. I got saved tonight. I've been born again. She said, this is wonderful. Praise the Lord. She said, thank you, brother. And she started trying to hug me. I'm not a big hugger, and uh, I've stiff-armed lots of people. But uh, and, uh, I said, God bless you. Amen. I, I love to hug my wife. Amen to that. But, and, but uh, we, we, we were just having a great time, and she was rejoicing and praising God and getting excited. Well, they left. Well, the pastor and I closed the church up. When we walked out, the only thing left in the community was uh, McDonald's. So we drove up to McDonald's and walked in. And there was a commotion in the corner. And we went to the counter and said, well, are you from that church? We said, yeah, up the street here. And he said, well, uh, man, that woman came in here. She's all excited. She said she got saved or something and fired up. And, uh, man, she's over there. She's all excited. It was that same woman. I, man, she ate a Happy Meal, amen? And... <laughs> We got a little something to eat. The next night she showed up. She had five people with her in church. Had five people sitting in her pew. I walked down and greeted her, and one of the men said, I don't know what you did to this woman. He said, I don't know what happened at work today. She's completely different. We don't, her whole disposition has changed. said, you don't understand. She's one of the meanest people at work. I said, yeah, I saw her last night before she got saved. And, and he said, she, she was so angry and mean. said, she's completely different. Two of those people got saved. I flew out. She brought more the next night, the last night of the meeting, and, uh, and some more of them got saved. Her friends, why? Because she got help. Why? The gospel still saves, still works. You say, preacher, man, people are gospel hardened. I'm finding where I live, they're not hardened. They're gospel confused. They're gospel ignorant. They don't understand the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for every one of their sins, past, present, and future. And if they'll put their faith and trust in him, they can have eternal life. How many of you still believe that? That gospel still saves the 
God has not changed and grace is still available tonight. The local church is still alive and well, amen? So we can still have revival. There is the plea for God to revive us again, the possibility of God revive us again. Thirdly, there's a principle of God reviving us again. I love this where he said, wilt thou not revive, next word, help me, us again. Did you know the greatest definition, the greatest dictionary for the Bible is the Bible? If you will study the Word of God, the Bible answers itself. So the question is, wilt thou not revive us again? Well, who is the us? Who is us? He says, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Now here's the principle. The revival is first and foremost for the people of God. It's for those who are already saved. In fact, the word revive is a compound word. Two words, re and vive. The word re means again, and the word vive in your English Bible always means life. So revival means life again. Wait a minute. Lost people can't have revival. They need resurrection. Amen? They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Saved people get revived again and again, and God begins to work afresh and anew in their heart and do great things, and they start rejoicing and showing forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. Years ago, my wife and I and kids, I left the pastorate in Atlanta. I was in the pastorate there for eight years and went back into evangelism again, and uh, we Designed the church, got a new pastor there, and I said, let's move out in the country. We'll just have a little home in the country, and we started looking around, and uh, we fell into a little house out in the country with almost five acres of ground. It was a small, uh, just a, a rancher. Uh, it needed a lot of work, but it was a, a nice little house out in Covington, Georgia, and uh, there was cows on one side and uh, animals on the other and pasture land and all that all around it. I said, let's see if they'll sell it, and uh, the price was unbelievable. Can you imagine this? Could you imagine a place like that in California for $127,000? Not possible, amen? But that's how much it was. And we bought it and uh, started, uh, I, my wife said, well, it needs some work. I said, we'll fix it all up for you, honey. We'll make it beautiful. And the boys and me started working inside. We renovated the house. It was, uh, it was a fixer-upper. It wasn't a renovator or a flipper. It was just needed some cosmetics, some work here and there. We made it a beautiful little home and had a kitchen, a fireplace in the kitchen, a country home out in the middle of nowhere. Now, wait a minute. I was born in the city. I mean, for me, uh, I, don't, I didn't know, uh, I don't know anything about the country, nothing about country life. I I was born right on the city line in Baltimore, but I thought this is it. You ought to, they ought to write a book. Lou goes to the country, amen, because uh, bad things were about to happen. We were, we were fired up and uh, got everything done on the inside. I said, let's clean the outside up. We had about four and a half acres, and it was all pasture, and it was all overgrown. And I went outside, started cutting it, and a, a preacher friend came by. I had a little riding lawnmower. It blew the engine on that. And a preacher came and said, you need to have a bush hog, man. Uh, we got to go through here with a bush hog. I honestly thought he meant that was some kind of an animal. I said, what is that? A bush hog. Well, it was a tractor with a big cutting bar on it, and he bush hogged the whole property. It was beautiful. It looked so nice. You could see everything all the way through the property. 
We had a little shooting range in the back and all this. I had a great time. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I had, had uh, put some catnip out there and all that, but it was uh, not really. But <laughs> and, uh, It was gr- not really. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was incredible. We had a, just so nice to live in the country like that. And I'll never forget, uh, I looked out in the back, and there were these old trees. These trees were dead. They were scraggly. They were mangy. It had gotten to be wintertime around February. I said, boys, we're going to cut these trees down. And uh, we met out there one morning. A man lent me a chainsaw. Now, a chainsaw in the hand of a city slicker is a weapon of mass destruction. Amen. I had no idea what I was doing. I said, well, cut the trees down. And uh, I mean, to cut the tree, I started to like just cut the tree down. Here's a big tree. It would have fell right on us. But I had no idea what I was doing. And I started to cut the tree. And a man pulled up in a SUV. He said, brother, what are you doing? I said, I'm cutting this tree down. Brother, are you kidding me? He said, that's a great tree. He said, you you don't want to cut that tree down. I said, this tree is dead, brother. Look at this thing. He said, no, this tree is not dead. He said, this tree is in dormancy. He said, that's a pecan tree. Now, do you call them pecans or pecans? I call them pecans, but uh, that's a pecan tree. And he said, in fact, they're all pecan trees. This is an old pecan orchard right here that you're living on. We had seven pecan trees on our property. I said, those things are dead, brother. Look at them. They're scraggly. They're mangy. There's nothing on them. He said, no, they go into dormancy in the winter, and they look terrible in the wintertime. There's old scraggly, gnarly branches all over the ground. I said, no, these things are dead. He said, brother, I promise you these trees are alive. You'll be very happy if you keep them in place. I looked at those trees. And I said, trees, you got one month. If you don't do something, I'm cutting you down. They were ugly. Well, we went on a revival meeting and came back and about a month and a half later with our trailer and pulled in. And sure enough, they had, it was in Georgia and there was some buds beginning to form on those leaves. The leaves were coming in. I was almost mad about it. I said, oh, this, this is, and another few weeks went by and they were beginning to really bloom. And by the summertime, we had a bumper crop of pecans all over those trees. By the fall, we were cutting them down. There was, there was pecans everywhere. People pulling up in cars and saying, you know, before you bought this house, we used to come by and harvest these. Could we add some? And we were giving them to uh, older ladies, filling them all up and putting them in baskets for them. My wife learned how to make pecan pie. Pecan, pecan, spaghetti, raviolis, amen. I mean, we had a great time. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. Uh, we had a great time just with those pecans. We look forward to those each year. I'm so glad I did not cut them down. You know why? Those trees didn't need removal. They needed revival. They didn't need to be cut down. They need to be nurtured and built up and, and strengthened in, inside. And that summer when the rain and the, and, the, and the sun came and started to bring all that nutrient up through the trunk and out to the limbs, the next thing you know, a beautiful harvest comes out of those trees. And I see the same principle of revival with God's people. I see people that are getting bitter. I see people that are struggling. People have been disappointed. People who've been hurt. And they begin to withdraw. And you may not know it, but the fruit of your life is really not that attractive. And people look at you and say, man, I don't even know if he's saved. He needs to get saved again. Or maybe he never got saved the first time. And people will get saved for the second or third or the fourth time. No, I believe this. There's only one salvation. There's one baptism, many fillings, amen. And once you get saved by the grace of God, there are periods of time where God needs to revive us again. 
And boy, you see the same people after they hit the altar and get things right and maybe have a little time with the pastor and talk about some bitterness or things that have come into their life or the world or sin and get it all cleaned up. It's amazing how that same person, their heart begins to overflow and joy comes into their life. Wilt thou not revive us again? This is why David said in Psalm 119, uh, 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know if there be any wicked, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He said, I want revival in my life. Now the problem is, I don't know the common names out here where I live is Smith and Jones. I was in a church down uh, by the border of Mexico and uh, most of the people there were Latino and so I just used the name the Juarez's and the Martinez's and I said the Juarez's are mad at the Martinez's and the Martinez's are mad at the Juarez's and it got quieter and quieter uh, as the service went on and man finally stood up and said my name is Mr. Martinez and I've been mad at Brother Juarez for two years. I called the name. I didn't even know a thing about it. We had, we had an old-fashioned revival. God showed up. We didn't get out of church till about 2.30 in the afternoon. People got right with God. They got right with one another, and their entire countenances began to change. Why? Because we had revival. You know what the problem is in your life? It's not the Joneses. It's not the one across the pew. It's not even the one you're married to. It's not the ones that you're raising. It's not the people at work. God can only work in my life. He wants to work in your life. Amen? Amen. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? There's a principle of revival for God to revive us again. There's the possibility. There's a plea. And then, of course, there are several priorities for God to revive us again. You say, what are they? I think first and foremost is cleansing. Those old dead trees have to be purged, amen? The old dead leaves have to be pulled off. The limbs need to be trimmed back. And for God's people, we need to be clean for God to do His work and for God to work in our life. It's amazing. I've seen this in my lifetime and I've watched in my own heart and watched it with those around me when people are broken and repentant and really get sorrowful for what they've done against God and get their heart right with God. It's amazing. The result is always joy. There's always a sense of freedom that begins to, begins to come back to their life. Is everybody good? And God wants to get clean. I love what Psalm 24 said in verse 3, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who had not lifted up his, his, uh, his eyes unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This man shall obtain the blessing of the Lord, and God's presence is upon those who will go to great lengths to keep themselves clean. I mentioned the other night that holiness is inconvenient. Do I have an amen? Amen. It's inconvenient to live a holy life and by the grace of God to stay clean. There's, there are priorities there to be clean. There's the priority of reconciliation, to be right with God and to be right with one another, to learn to be right with those around us and 
and take a stand, the larger a church gets, the easier it is to ignore broken relationships with other church members and leaders in our life and just find a new group to hang with and a, a new crowd. The problem is when we start to hang with other people and we're bitter towards another, ultimately we begin to share that hurt and share that bitterness and we become guilty of gossip. Do I have an amen? Does it sound familiar to you? And discord comes and all that follows it. I heard about three preachers were out on a retreat together out in the woods and just having a great time. And they all sat around the campfire. And one of them said, let's confess each other's sins and get some things right with each other. Well, the one pastor said, well, I, I have a little trouble because uh, I kind of I tend to take a little money out of the offering plate when nobody's looking, just a little bit. The second preacher said, well, nobody knows it, but I tend to nip the bottle a little bit and drink. I drink a little bit of alcohol. Nobody knows. Pray for me. The third preacher said, I really struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get home. But anyway, you have to be, you have to be careful about how we treat one another. Let's be reconciled one to another. Let's walk with God and be everything God wants us to be. Jesus made this wonderful statement. If thou goest to the altar and there remember thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift, first go, be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. There's reconciliation. There's a priority here of intercession. If we want revival, we're going to have to continue to pray for one. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I, I prayed for a lot of years for revival. How I many have prayed much for revival around this community in San Leandro and your part of the world and the community you live in? How many of you pray for revival? Could I see your hands? How many of you pray for revival in America? It's not going to come quickly. It sometimes takes many long hours of prayer and fasting and seeking God and calling upon God's face and asking God to do a work. I flew into Wichita, Kansas years ago. I went to a revival meeting and it was a three-day meeting and went there from Sunday through Wednesday and the pastor said, you know, we're not done here. We need to go at least through Sunday if you could. And I, I called home and said, uh, I won't be home, honey. I'm going to be gone a few more days. And I felt like it was going to be a longer meeting. That Sunday, the pastor said, I believe we need to go another week, uh, at least a few more days. And I called home and I preached through Wednesday. And one of the men in the church said, I'll go home with you. We'll fly back, get your family and your travel trailer. We did. And we drove. 15 hours back and fired up the meeting back up on that Sunday and went into a six-week long revival meeting. I mean, literally shook the whole town up, shook people up. Hundreds of people got saved. We'd, uh, we'd go out to the restaurant at night. I walked into a Hardee's on, uh, when it really started, when the revival began. I walked into a Hardee's to get a biscuit and uh, sat down. A man was reading a newspaper and he looked over the paper and said, are you that preacher that's holding that revival? I said, yes, sir. And he said, sir, and a tear ran down, right down his cheek. He said, would you show me what I need to do to get saved? I said, yes, sir, and, and I led him to Christ. The pastor and I went out to a truck stop that night uh, after the service. Service went on forever, people testifying, praising God, giving God glory. Uh, we went to the truck stop that night. That's all that was around to eat. We were talking, and a waitress walked up and said, excuse me, excuse me. Are you, are you the preacher from the revival? I said, uh, yes, ma'am. And she said, I'm a wicked person. Could I get saved? 
and she bowed her head right there and trusted Christ, brought her little girl to church. I'm talking about miracles started happening. We came back the next week, and man, God was doing great things. A man came and knocked on my door and in the middle of the night. I said, yes, because you talk to my wife and I. We sat in the car. And he had been accused of stealing in a business transaction. It wasn't true by another man in town. But the small town thought he was a thief. And he went and made $150,000 reconciliation with another man. The whole town found out about it. God moved in their lives. The other businessman came in and confessed his wrongdoing. And God showed up. And people were getting saved from all walks of life. If you ever have a Holy Ghost revival, it looks like a war zone. I mean, everything's messed up. The pews are out of sync. The chairs are moved. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the Spirit of God moved on that place. You know why? We were in the meeting, and we're having a prayer meeting with two young guys, Jay and John. And while we were praying, uh, I heard one of them say, Oh, God, you know, we were fasting and praying the last few months. And God, you told us this meeting was going to explode and that God was going to work and that you were going to do a great work and this meeting would go on four or five weeks. God, you spoke to us. You told us that. I found out they were praying out on a rock pile outside of town uh, and would lay out there early in the morning, four in the morning, and pray out there until about 5.30 or 6. I went out and met with them, put on a jumpsuit. It was cold outside. I went out and laid out in that rock pile with them. I heard two young men begging God, seeking God, weeping, calling on God. You never heard people pray like that. When we start praying that way, God is going to hear and answer our prayer. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Intercession and revival, the priorities of revival are always, always, always soul winning. We get stirred up. God doesn't want us to get revived so we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya. Amen? Amen? He doesn't want us to all get revived and go, I feel revived. Do you feel revived? I feel revived. Yeah, I feel revived. He's not, this is not all about us. Revival is not about self-fulfillment. Revival is all about love and action and reaching out to a lost and dying world and getting soul winning fervor and getting people saved by the grace of God. Now, how's it all happen? There's just one little word. And I preached about it Sunday morning in Sunday school, and I'll end up on it tonight. It's simply one word, it's preparation, getting prepared. Imagine this, this harvest Sunday, this, this meal that you have. And so much work is going to go into that. I, I know these things, how they, how they pan out. We're going to have a meal Sunday in our church. And uh, between when I get off the, on the ground Thursday afternoon, we'll be working nonstop on th uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday. We have good staff, but I know I'm going to have to ride herd and get everything done. And we'll be working hard to get all that finished. But the preparation work is so important. And if we're going to have revival, we must be prepared. I'll tell you a true story, and then I'll be done tonight. Several years ago, I, my phone rang, and I answered the phone. And on the other end was the strangest southern accent guy I'd ever heard in my life, Texas drawl. I said, hello. He said, is this Brother Rossi? I said, yes, sir. I said, who is this? He said, he gave his name. My name is Pastor Larry, from, and he gave the town from Texas. I said, I thought it was a friend pulling a trick. It, it was so stereotyped and fake. I said, who's this? I said, I'm Pastor Larry. I said, yeah, and I'm Yosemite Sam. Amen? <laughs> I said, excuse me, sir. 
I said, who is this? He said, it's Pastor Larry from Texas. I said, are you serious? He said, oh, yes, sir. I couldn't be more serious. I said, I thought you might be a friend pulling a prank with that Texas accent being so deep. He said, no, sir, I assure you I am Pastor Larry. He said, I'm calling you. And he, he said, I know you're an evangelist. And he said, I know you're one of those paid professional evangelists. And he said, I want to know if you come to preach for a little church like mine. He said, we only have 42 people in the church. He said, would you be willing to come? He said, I don't know if, how, if we can even afford you. How much do you charge for your revival meetings? I thought, boy, what, that's a new one on me. I said, sir, I don't charge anything. I said, in fact, we have a few churches that support us financially. This church supported us when we were in evangelism. And I can't tell you what a blessing that is uh, to have support. And I said, we have some churches that support us. And I do a few revivals a year, just, uh, you know, the world would call it pro bono, where uh, it's free. I just come to be a blessing to help the church. And I'd be glad to do that for your church. He said, oh, really? You mean you come here for nothing? I said, I sure would, sir. I said, I'd be glad to come. Uh, now, let me ask you, are you a Baptist church? He said, oh, yeah, independent Baptist. Yes, sir, independent Baptist. King James Bible, independent Baptist church. You believe, I asked him a few questions. He said, yes, sir. I said, great. I said, I would love to come. He said, now, sir, we've already called a vote, and we voted to have a preacher in for our revival. We've already voted to give the preacher a $750 honorarium. I said, praise God, that's better than a lot of guys treat me anyway. And he said, uh, and we also voted we're going to fly you here. I said, all right, that's awesome. I have another question. You're going to fly me home? And he, he said, we're going to fly you home. He said, that's great. And he said, we've, we've got already voted to get the money. We're going to get you a nice hotel. I said, man, you're way ahead of the game, sir. Uh, you didn't need to call and ask me. He said, well, I know you're a paid professional evangelist, so I want to make sure you'd even come. We set the date, and I flew that, you know, got all set to get ready. And I'll never forget this. About a month and a half, two months before the meeting, he called me. Hello, Brother Rossi. This is Brother Larry. He said, our church has got together and had a business meeting we voted unanimously to have revival. He said, we decided we're not just going to have a meeting. We're going to have revival. They voted to have revival. I said, that's wonderful. About a month later, he called me again. He said, Brother Ross, we voted again, and we voted to get right with God. We're all going to throw out the sin out of our lives, get our cabinets cleaned out, get rid of all the bad movies and all the bad stuff. A couple of, you know, a bunch of the guys are quitting smoking. I thought, you only got 42 people. That's a lot of stuff. And he said, we're going, to, we're going to get right with God. He said, we're going to get right. We're going to get all cleaned up for this meeting. I said, that's awesome. He called me again a couple weeks later. Brother Rossi. We're going to start praying for this revival. We voted. All members present and voted. We're all going to start praying for this revival. This is the votingest church I ever heard of in my life. And he called me again about two weeks before the meeting. He said, we've had another vote. And he said, preacher, we have all voted unanimously, all members present and voting, that we're going to try to invite everybody we can to this revival meeting. I said, man, that's wonder. That's awesome, pastor. I flew in. We started the meeting on a Tuesday night, strange starting night. That's all I had available. I flew out of, into Houston and drove about two hours up to where his church was. And I went to the hotel, beautiful place, and went in and got myself cleaned up, ready for the night. About 5.30, there's a knock on the door. And I looked through the peephole, and there's a man standing there in a big old Texas hat, big old white Texan hat. 
He had a little bolo tie, you know, the little string. Had big old cowboy boots, the roach killers. And I mean, had a big old uh, uh, belt buckle. You can kill roaches in the corner with those things. But I mean, got a big old belt buckle on. He was a real live cowboy. I thought it was Walker, Texas Ranger, amen? And I, I said, hello? He said, I'm Pastor Larry. I said, oh, good to meet you, brother. So we got in his pickup truck, of course, and uh, we said, let's get a cup of coffee. We went and got a cup of coffee, and he talked about the meeting. We drove to the church, nice little church. They had about 42, 43 people there that night. That was it. I preached, good crowd, and I mean, a good little response. People got, you know, came forward, nothing unusual. And uh, the pastor after the service said, Brother Rossi, would you mind showing me how to win people to Christ? Amen. He said, I've never been a soul winner. And he said, I just, I want to win souls. And I saw a tear in his eye. I said, I want to learn how to win people to Christ. I never had a pastor say that to me in my life. I said, sir, I'll be glad to do that. He said, I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock in the morning. His wife was there and said, honey, you, you can't pick him up at seven. That man needs to sleep some. Pick him up at nine. I said, thank you, sister. Amen. <laughs> Picked me up at nine o'clock. He said, I'm going to take you out, out of town. Could you, will you mind not helping me with this man? Uh, I know him well. I said, sure. We drove out, out of town and out into the sand hills, and we pulled up to a double-wide mobile home. He said, we're going to go up here and talk to Herbert. He said, Herbert is the meanest man in our community he said he's beat people up that have come to his door. He said he's a mean man, I'm telling you. He said big old Texas boy. He said he might cuss us out, tell us to get off the property. He said he's a wicked man. He said if I figure you can, you can win him, you can win anybody. So he knocks on the door. Herbert comes to the door. Hey, Larry, what do you want, boy? He said, well, hey, Herbert, I got Lou Rossa here. He's a paid professional evangelist all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. He said, I told... I told Lou Rossi, you're one of the most wicked men I've ever met, and you're going to die and go to hell. Go ahead, Brother Rossi. That's what he said. I said, all right. I, he had just lit up a cigarette, you know, uh, old Herbert had. I mean, you know, he's in Texas. His cigarette looked like it was two feet long, amen? Forget a Virginia Slim. It was longer than that. And he said, uh, all right, come on in. We walked in and sat down in the den in the living room. I said, Herbert, has anybody ever showed you how to know you're going to heaven when you die? He said, no, sir. I said, could I show you from the Bible how to know you're going to heaven when you die? Listen, friends, we don't have to say, hey, you're going to hell. You're a wicked sinner. You're this and that. I said, wouldn't, wouldn't you like somebody to show you you're going to heaven? He said, I reckon so. I started giving him the plan of salvation. Herbert, do you know that all sin comes short of the glory of God? Yes, sir. And I said, Herbert, do you know that there's a penalty for sin? Yes, sir. I said, you know that Christ paid the price for all of your sins and that, uh, that God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, yes, sir, I reckon. I said, Herbert, do you know that Christ, and just then, I mean, it was, it was right there, and I heard a strange noise down the hallway, this double-wide mobile, mobile home. I, I thought, what is that? And I looked, and the door opened, and out ran of that door a, a herd of chihuahuas. I mean, they ran down the hallway, their little toenails on the wooden floor, and all these little chihuahuas jumping all around and uh, jumping all around this. This old man, dogs got out. They ran all around. I mean, he must have had 10 chihuahuas running all around the house, putting them all back. He said, oh, we love chihuahuas. I said, I'm sure you do. I guess you do. Uh, no kidding. So I, I said, all right, now they're all put away. Now, Herbert, let me show you. He said, nope. 
I reckon I'd like you boys to leave. Did you ever try to lead somebody to Christ and something happened and all of a sudden it was like a switch went? Get out. I said, well, Herbert, uh, I just want to go through this again. I said, I want you to leave. I said, well, Herbert, just, and he said, now I'm not going to tell you again, boy, I want you to get out of my house. Well, old Larry said, come on, brother, let's go. And he says, get ready to go off. And we went out in the truck and old Larry just sat in the truck. His heart sunk. He started to cry. I said, I thought he was going to get saved. He said, Brother Lou, would you mind just going to another house with me? I said, sure, I'll go to another one. Went to another one. And as we pulled into the driveway, same thing, pulled in. It was a little house set up on a hill. It was a little pond next to it. And there was a young man sitting out on a chair right in front of the house with a rifle draped over his legs. As we walked up there, hey, Brother Larry said, hey, Peanut. He said, hey, Brother Larry, how you doing, sir? He said, Peanut, I got Lou Rossi here as a paid professional evangelist out of Nashville, Tennessee. He said, Peanut, you're going to die and go to hell. Lou Rossi will help you with that. Go ahead, Brother Rossi. Okay, great introduction. And I said, Peanut, wouldn't you like to have somebody show you how you know you're going to heaven when you die? He said, well, sir, I, I sure would. He had long, stringy, blonde hair. He said, I sure would. I said, well, you mind putting that rifle up? He said, no, sir. I said, there's a water moccasin over there in the pond. I was trying to shoot him. And he said, I'll set it right there. I said, Peanut, let me show you from the Bible how to be saved. And I just took about five minutes and gave him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, Peanut, wouldn't you like to get saved right now? He said, I sure would. He got off his chair and knelt right there next to his chair like a little boy and folded his hands. He said, tell me what to do. And Peanut trusted Christ as his Savior. That's where the revival started. I mean, it just started. We got done praying. He was so happy. And a big man came out of the woods behind the mobile home. Great big fella. He came walking out of the woods and Peanut said, William, come here, William. He said, I just got saved, William. I just trusted Jesus as my Savior. He said, this here's Lou Rossi. He's a paid professional evangelist out of Nashville. He said, go ahead and tell William how to get saved. And I showed William from the Bible, and William got saved. And that night, when we walked into church, man, Brother Larry took me all over the community all afternoon. Would you mind another one, another one? I said, yes, sir, I'll do this all day. I'm fine. We, we went soul winning all day long, and every person we talked to trusted Christ. And uh, that night, the attendance doubled from the night before. There was 85 people in that little church. And people got saved. There was William. There was Peanut. They had their girlfriends with them. They had little children. And uh, people got saved that night. I mean, a bunch of people got saved. The next night, it doubled again. There's probably 150 people in church on Thursday night. And then Friday night, I finished my part of the meeting. They had over 250 people packed into a little building hanging out the sides. It was almost like being in the Philippines. They were outside the windows, sitting out there looking in. And people got saved from all walks of life. I gave the invitation in the last night and I'll never forget it the last person to stand up I never even saw him in the service was old Herbert stood up and Herbert walked down the aisle and Herbert got saved by the grace of God and he trusted Christ as his Savior the pastor would call me about every other week he'd call me hey brother we had nine more people saved tonight had five more people saved yesterday he called me the week after revival he said brother Rossi we got a bunch of people to get baptized you think it'd be alright to use a horse trough for that I bought one a tractor supply company I said well sir I wouldn't call it a horse trough I'd call it a baptismal can amen or some other you know some other name 
He said, we got us a horse trough. And what he didn't tell me, he called me the next day. He said, we baptized all these people yesterday. He said, but the first one, they had gotten a pond heater to keep the pond from freezing, put it in the horse trough, and it, it scalded the first kid that got in there to get baptized. He would call me with stories, people getting saved. His little church went from 42 people to 150 people almost overnight. And God did a work in his life and in their hearts. And boy, that's in recent days. That's one of the nearest things I've seen to revival in a while. I can tell you that God can sure do that again. He can do that in your life. He can do that in your heart. And you understand that every time you move, every time you say, by God's grace, I'm going to move towards God. I'm going to respond at the invitation. I'm going to respond to the preaching. I'm going to say amen. I'm going to give out a track. I'm going to show up for church when I don't feel like being in church, even if it's not a guest, special guest speaker, because our pastor is a special speaker. Amen? And, and every time the Word of God is preached to show up and be here, you know what we're doing? We're casting a yes vote. And we're saying, I'm voting for revival in San Leandro, California, and I'm asking God to do something wonderful in people's lives. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Yea, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. That's what the writer said. After two days, he will revive us, Hosea 6.2. And the God we serve tonight has a great desire to work in our life and to continue to work and to answer the question, yes, when we pray, wilt thou not revive us again?